This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, we're all dressed up like the cure. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me for a conversation about the work of Ben Folds 5. Ben Folds 5, the trio, not Ben Folds the guy who has a much larger, possibly more successful solo career than Ben Folds 5. Nope, we're going to be talking about the band Ben Folds 5. It's a band that we all came across on our own uh, and came together and realized we all dug them. And so I thought, hey, that might be an interesting story to learn more about. So check show notes if you want to skip straight to that and go listen to that conversation. We've also got another segment of The Fresh Shit, our segment where we talk about the shows and the books and the movies and the TV we're watching. And uh, if you've got show ideas or feedback, feel free to hit us up every time. Uh, You can hit us up on Twitter. We are at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E, or you can go to MagHuge.com. That's our website where you can find a link to our Twitter and also a link to email us at MagnificentHuge at gmail.com. You can find our Instagram there and our Facebook page. And as, as always, please subscribe to the podcast, share it on your social feeds, rate us five stars, help us out, help us grow an audience. Let's get to the show. This is episode 150. It seems like we should have made a bigger deal of it. We didn't. Let's get to the show. It's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Where we talk about sports all the time. Yeah. All sports. sports all the time. The Ocho. Sporting sports. It's Fuego. <laughs> Did you see the sports ball game yesterday, fellows? It was amazing. I thought that one player was going to go to the penalty area. Uh, <laughs> greetings, fellow kids. My name is Brian. This is Chris. This is Eric. Hey. And it's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We are. This is episode 150. This is what happens to grown-ups who aren't properly taught to throw a baseball. (laughs) We just sit here and talk about movies and stuff, right? We were too old for esports, so this is what you get, sadly. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. So every week we do a segment where we talk about movies and TV and books and stuff we've been doing. It's called The Fresh Shit. This shit is fresh. Chris, you sound like you've got some fresh shit. What do you got? Uh, okay, I got a couple things to do with here. Uh, first of all, it's new on Netflix. It's a limited series, and I'm wondering if you've seen it, Brian or Eric. Okay. Uh, it's the yeah, one called. It's called High oh. Score. It's like a six-episode thing about the history of I, video games. Yeah, I watched the first episode last night. It's uh, it's kind of got that the toys that made us, films that made us mm-hmm. uh, vibe, uh, and it's a real down and dirty, quick take on the history of video games. But it's uh, it's kind of fun. I'm digging it. Uh, even I though there's, I have actually been looking forward to it. I I have not watched it yet, but. I've been saving it because, yeah. It, yeah, it looks like the toys that made us, but for something I actually would understand. Yeah, it's a good overview. It's, it's a good overview. 
Yeah, I, I only watched the first episode. I can I can say with some confidence that when they get it, they're talking about there in terms of history of video games, um, they leave some pretty big gaps. For example, yeah. apparently video games begin with Space Invaders, according yeah. to this show. It's. Uh, I mean, it's so, it's a it's the broad strokes. Uh, but each yeah. each episode kind of covers a segment. So it starts at the early like Pong and Atari and the space invaders and all that and then you get into the rise of nintendo once atari crashes and burns they do a thing on role playing yeah, games forward to the tom kalinsky sega episode that one uh, that guy yeah i watched that one uh <laughs> this morning and it's fun because sega is literally the the one system where i actually played the most video games on because uh, i didn't have an atari growing up i didn't have a nintendo and then i knew you <laughs> When you had your Sega Genesis, and so I was always playing that with you. Uh, I still have that same Sega Genesis. Nice. It still works. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they, they did like the whole thing, how Sega did their battle plan to take over Nintendo. And then the one so far that I've enjoyed the most is towards the end. It's the one on fighting games where they talk about Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one's fun because the guy <laughs> that created Street Fighter 2 is this really sweet unassuming japanese man yet he made one of the gateways to violence in video games and it's so <laughs> funny but then they get into the whole like the the senate confirmation hearing thing where they were so concerned about kids playing violent video games and turning into sociopaths and i'm <laughs> and my wife and i are just watching it going anybody that can't distinguish between a video game and real life deserves to be a sociopath when they grow up i mean that's literally so the joe distinction. lieberman is a sociopath i think is what you're saying yeah Oh, I think okay. we've known that for some time. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Lieberman. Yeah. I'm yeah. a senator because that's that's why I exist. Yeah. And so if if I don't get my party's nomination, go fuck yourself. I'll run as an independent. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. You can't get rid of me. I'm Joe Lieberman yeah. and I will be here forever. I've been yeah. here forever. I'll be here yeah. forever. But uh but Night Trap got a good uh Call oh out, yeah, like a whole segment on that, and I totally forgot about that piece of shit. Uh, Night Trap is is yeah. infamous, and is so that uh, the one with Alyssa Milano? The no, the it's video? Uh, Dana Plato. Dana Plato. Dana Plato. Different, yeah. different strokes. Yeah, and it's, yeah, the ugh. the game that won't die. It was never good. Well, the, but <laughs> what's fun well, when you get to the episode, you'll enjoy it because the guy that actually created it uh, had to pitch it to Hasbro, and then they started Zito? making all these notes. Uh, was that his name? I can't remember his name Digital right now. Digital Pictures, Tom Zito is the name that's in my head. Uh, something like that. But basically, okay. uh, he he envisioned it like Ninja Warriors stalking the house and the whole thing. And then they said, well, we can't do that because you can't have violence that people can emulate in real life. It's like, well, what if we make them vampires? I'm like, okay, sure, but you can't have them <laughs> bite anybody. And so then they come up with that weird, uh, I guess, met them halfway and do that thing where they wrap the 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 hook around the neck and then the needle goes in and sucks the blood, which is infinitely worse. It's like a, like a horror movie at that point. Uh, Yeah. It's so, it's so cheesy. So, um, if you enjoyed that, a good companion piece, it's also not too long that you can check out on YouTube. Uh, in, in England, uh, Charlie Brooker did a video game history. Okay. Uh, that I did watch. Um, and that's, that's a good, I think it yeah. fills in some of the gaps and covers some of the same okay. territory, but it's, it's a good companion piece to this. Okay. I'll have to look for it. Cause, uh, yeah, this was definitely the broad strokes and some stuff I didn't know. 
But what's astonishing when you watch this is that so much of the video game industry comes out of Japan. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, which, you know, you, I mean, you know, but you don't know if you're just a casual gamer. But it, there's so much stuff rooted in their culture and whatnot, and it just sort of bled out into the American audience. So it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, cultural deal as well. So it's fun. I'd be interested to hear your final thoughts on it, given that you have worked in the gaming industry, Brian, uh, to see yeah. if there's anything revelatory in it or not for you. But as just a, an everyday sort of pseudo gamer, but not really. It's been kind of so far. So far, it's all been stuff I know. It's it's nice that they they gave the spotlight <clears throat> to the guy who worked on the Fairchild Channel F and 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 really was the guy who came up with being able to swap out games on cartridges. Yeah, it was nice that they gave him a shout out. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the thing that I'm interested in, like I said, I've only seen the first one so far. Um, the thing that I'm interested in is the crash of video games in 83 84 you know is is traditionally blamed on the fact that the atari really had no uh, copy protection like no system lockout if you could figure out how to build a cartridge for this thing you could put out any old dreck yeah. that you wanted <laughs> to much. and so the market just got saturated with shitty shitty games yeah and um and so it it just died, and suddenly there was too much product on the store shelves, and everything got marked down, and nobody could make any money. The thing that Nintendo brings to the... I assume they talk about this. The thing that Nintendo brings is the official Nintendo seal of quality. What that means is Nintendo had a lockout chip in the NES. They didn't actually talk about that. They, you yeah. couldn't make a Nintendo in, Entertainment System game unless Nintendo manufactures the thing. Okay. Right, and so all the Nintendo seal of quality means really is that Nintendo had total control over what games were getting released by whom when because they owned the means of production and they sued the shit out of anybody who reverse engineered it. Um, but they completely dominated the market. They could totally control how many baseball games came out when. And, yeah. Um, and the, the quality seal is just you met our standards for manufacturing your cart over the years. It became just the official Nintendo seal of nothing. Uh, that, that happened around the time of Metroid prime. If you go look at the manual for Metroid prime, it's the official Nintendo seal. Yeah. Well, what's funny, nothing. What's funny is that when you get to the, the Sega war with Nintendo and then they actually brought up their marketing and I'd forgotten this, but it's, uh, it's like, uh, whatever Sega does, what Nintendo don't, and I forgot right. that tagline. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's genius. I'd forgotten that one. Genesis does. Sixteen-bit arcade graphics. You can't do this on Nintendo. Genesis does. What Nintendo? Well, the 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 thing that I'm sh I'm struggling with is today's video game market is basically what was happening in '83, '84. There are literally hundreds of games coming out every single day on Steam or on the Nintendo Switch or on any of these platforms where the indie games uh, can show up. And I don't understand if it was a, a market-destroying, like, cataclysm moment in 83. How is it that we've managed to somehow still make a buck when it costs more to make the games and there's just so goddamn many of them now. I, I'm shocked that we are able to to have a marketplace yeah, at this yeah. point. 
Well, and it's know. also less surprising when you, you know, like, uh, okay, I've got an Xbox One. Like I said, there's like four games in the last eight years I've bothered, you know, to get. Right. Because there isn't as much choice, you know. There there aren't a lot of different things coming out. There's there's a few things coming out, really. Oh, no, they there's have to hundreds put all of their things coming out daily. <laughs> you just don't care about any of yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> jerk. But, I'm, but I mean, like, the big publishers, they put all their eggs into one you know, Halo basket. Right. Well, and they're making games that are designed to like take, you know, forever. Like this game is now your lifestyle. You're going to just play Destiny for seven years. Yeah. Play Destiny, motherfuckers. You know. Mwah, ah, ah, um, ah, ah. All right. So that's your. Was it was it called Game Over? Is that what it's called? What's the High name score. of the Netflix show? High Score. High Score. Okay. Yeah, which is good stuff. Uh, but it just started. So yeah, I uh, I delved and it was enjoyable. Uh, the other thing is, after I talked about the Go-Go's a few shows back, because they did that Go-Go's documentary, which is still awesome, and everybody should watch mm-hmm. it, uh, I fell into this weird YouTube rabbit hole of listening to nothing but female-fronted bands. Like, that's literally all okay. I wanted to listen to. So I, I went over, like, uh, well, Pixies doesn't really count as female-fronted, but Kim Deal, which later breeders, uh, Throwing Muses... Uh, Elastica, uh, Veruca Salt, so like all the '90s ones, etc., uh, etc. Et and then I just ran where this is going. Well, I randomly came across a new band, and they've only been around for like two or three years, uh, called The Regrets. And I just randomly found the, like a video of one of their singles and listened to it, and immediately got hooked. And then, and then like so, in the last like week. All I've been listening to is this band called The Regrets. I mean, just nonstop. It's this hooky, pop-punky sort of thing with, like, surf inflections, but they also do some Motown-type flavor on a couple of songs. It's like this weird melange. And they're very, like, in-your-face. Like, I don't want to say girl power, because that sort of cheapens it, but at the same time, they're just really uh, in-your-face lyrics about just, hey, women are people too, fuck off that kind of stuff uh but it's not like riot girl stuff it's just very it is what it is kind of thing but their hooks are so just it's like tremendous. a me too theme uh, like the, their uh, lyrics are kind of uh, in that on, a, realm. on a couple of them they get that way yeah but okay. but the astonishing thing is that it's just this like super well-crafted pop punk with hooks and they're catchy and i can't get them out of my head and the lead singer and main songwriter is only like 18 19 years old and they're all awesome. ch- they're all children, and it made me feel really good because there was that time in the teens there we were kind of rolling the music where all the kids were doing sort of low tempo, mid tempo electronica stuff that was just the, and I didn't like it, <laughs> and I was concerned that the kids were just going to abandon rock and roll forever. And well, now, they kind of have. Well, no, this <laughs> this led me down like other bands of that are contemporaries. So the kids are now finding their guitars again, and it's awesome. Uh, that's you know, really I think I wanted to say. I think when you talk about the kids, you need to do you need to change your voice. The kids, the you kids, know, the kids, they're they're playing the punk rock. Yeah, the punk rock. And the, 
the kids and the children. Yeah. And they're nice and, uh, it's the music. It's wild. Yeah. It's well, crazy. Wild. Yeah. Well, that's the thing wow. is I'm, I'm listening to the music and I'm, I'm digging it. And then I, I read how old they were and I went, oh, Jesus, I'm old enough to be their <laughs> fucking father. You're old enough. To, yeah. yeah. Like, got, holy yeah. shit. Uh, so I had that brief but moment you, where I you bought old. their music and now you have regrets. Yes. That's what I think you said. Yeah. Okay. But I would urge both of you to to find them, <laughs> uh, listen to some songs. Uh, I'll give you a couple of couple of singles. So the the one that got me was the the first single from their first album. It's called Seashore, and that's a very feminist anthemic kind of thing. But it's got a great. You're talking hook. to me like a child. I'm not a baby. Not waiting on you to come save me. really got me was a song called I Don't Like You, which just really bounces along and it's fun. And then the new album, which came out last year, I feel kind of bad for him because I got this new album and then COVID hits. Uh, and then, you know, that's kind of sucks if you're a new band. But they've got a song called I Dare You, which is really awesome. Pumpkin is another song. And then Dress Up is the one that really got me. Uh, it's just the hooks are phenomenal. So I will just say that. Uh, so they're called The Regrets. It's R E G R E T T E S which is sort of a, oh, nod, a nod to their, their Motown regrets. influence, The Regrets. Okay. Uh, and it's just a bunch of kids bouncing around with their guitars, and thank God, because I was really worried that rock and roll was just going <laughs> to go away forever. So, another generation rises. Yeah. Ta-da. All right. Is that your fresh shit, then? Yeah, that's all I got. I don't want to overwhelm you. So, Eric, yeah. what do you got? Uh, I've really been enjoying the Seth Meyers podcast edition of, uh, I guess, what is, what, the Wait, Wait show? Um, yes. I like Seth okay. Meyers anyway, and I think that the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show is an abomination. So the only real show is Seth Meyers, uh, and and he did the COVID edition of his show in his attic for a while yeah and then yeah. at his in-laws house and it is just surreal crazy nonsense wonderful uh the podcast is is great but you can also watch the shows on youtube the next day and i just i actually so there was there was an episode of that show 
uh, where he went off camera for like a couple frames, and I I managed to grab that and make it a Zoom background at work. So I'm oh sweet. I, I've been showing up to meetings <laughs> in Seth Myers's <laughs> attic with a copy of the Thornbirds on the table. Yeah, nice. that's great. And and the 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 uh, ship captain picture. Uh, probably. I don't. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 just it's just super fun. And anyway, this week is the last week he's in the uh I guess the ship captain's office. So I guess I don't know that that means they're going back to the studio or he's just going to go I think so, yeah. back to the attic. I'm not sure, but all I can say is I, I it's better than any of these shows have ever been. Him just doing it as a a webisode. And I guess I kind of hope a lot of TV things stay the same after this. I want to still work from home, and I want some of these shows to still be, you know. Well, it's weird because like this because we just last show we talked about uh, how there's no audiences for like the talent show shit and the sports mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, do you think talk shows are hindered at all by not having an audience, or do you care? Depends on the show. Yeah, I think they're better, especially if you've got somebody who is more literary in their funny. You know, he doesn't need an audience. Uh, He he's just funny, and it's actually better because he does a good job too. He doesn't have to pause for laugh lines. Right? Yeah. Okay, that would probably be the what I would be looking for. Yeah. So if you look at Colbert, you look at Seth Meyers, they've been doing great. Uh, I we referenced Bill Maher in the last show, and uh, his show's kind of sucking. Yeah. Well, he's always format. a little painful to watch anyway, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now now he's stripped down to just his personality. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But also, it's like, you know, one of the things that's been interesting about COVID has just been kind of getting a, you know, a peek into the, the you know, the personal lives of, you know, it's it's like people putting shit on their bookshelves, right? Like, Again, Democratic National Convention, so two, two fun backgrounds to look at. Check out Beto O'Rourke flexing the bookshelf whenever you see Beto O'Rourke. He's got like this whole <laughs> wall of like books and CDs and shit, yeah. right? And then, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren did her thing in front of uh, a, like a preschool or a kindergarten, and she put Easter eggs all over. She's put several Easter eggs in the background of her video, like a post yeah. office jacket. Yeah, and you got to make it fun. You know what I'm saying? You got to make it fun. Acronyms. Yeah. You know, speaking of Elizabeth Warren, this is very quick. She really upset the shit out of me this week when she was on, uh, I'm not sure if it was Mad Hour, one of those shows, but they were interviewing her and she kept talking about uh, uh, how, how, how child care is not, you know, it, it, it it's not a nice to have it's a requirement for the society and i'm fine with that but if you're going to talk about it don't talk about mommies and daddies she kept saying mommies <laughs> and daddies fuck you with this baby talk mommies and daddies you're 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 in your 60s for christ's sake you're yeah. an elected official talk like a grown-up fuck seriously <laughs> mommies all right and so daddies. seth Myers. holy shit yeah uh, um <laughs> I, that really burned me up so fucking bad. Because she did it like four or five times, and I was like, what is the matter with you? Uh, anyway. Well, you know. Um, well, you know. Ugh. But she ugh. can go after those 
those bankers and whatnot, like nobody's business. So I'll cut her some slack. I don't think I could have been angrier if she had said juice will not replace us. I really Ooh. think this is worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I uh, oh, come on. These are jokes. Um, so the <laughs> other thing, this is a really weird find. This was, this is a fun, weird, goofy find that I, I really highly recommend you check out. It is an, a radio play that's on YouTube. So, you know, the video is just a picture of a, a, a mushroom club, but they, it's, it's a radio play from about 1983, I think. No one knows. It was, nobody knows if this was a school project or if this was aired or what, but basically, okay, it's called uh, The Last Broadcast. And so some people in Canada did a, a an end of the world, the bombs are falling kind of radio play. Please stand by. Jeez. And it, it plays absolutely real. It's like they're, they're, they're playing Chubby Checker doing the twist. They get through the whole song. They right. play a couple of commercials for Burger King. Get me King. a link to this thing. We can put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah, so definitely. can listen to this. I, I, will, I, will, I will definitely do that. I've got it up right now. And awesome. it's, okay, the, the, the couple drawbacks to this, one, all Canadian cast. So you can really hear, you know, okay, we're going to cut to the White House now. Okay, so the president says that we're, we're, we're going to war, so, you know. Sorry, not um, sorry. Yeah, and the acting is not, you know, really very good either. But parts of it are, I, 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 the thing is, the, the technical details, like the weapons they're talking about, the, the cities that are getting hit, what, what causes it all, all very real, all very of its time. Shit that could have happened. And like I said, just really well done. They they have like a movie ad in there for coming this summer, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And that's what makes me think it's period. But at the same time, that's what makes me think it's not that somebody mm. like wanted to timestamp it. So I'm not sure. You'll have to listen and let me know. But I they don't yeah. sound like a real commercial. It's like this: the guys that made it made a fake commercial. No, no, that's that's the thing. They pulled actual ads. These are oh. the it, the the other thing is this video keeps getting pulled down off of YouTube. I think for this reason that they have non you know rights uh, uh, stuff like commercials for Indiana Jones and Temple Doom <laughs> and Burger King, you know. Hmm. Which is interesting. Uh, and if you're in downtown Toronto, you need to find shelter now. Um, <laughs> that's f it's from like '83. You said '82. It, it's it's at least it's set in '83. Okay. When it was actually done, I'm not sure. Okay. I I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on it. Like, I know it sounds cheap. The thing could actually be like a nah. It's not even a school project. They're the voice. There are grownups who are voice acting in this, but. Uh, well, it, yeah, it's it, it makes me think. Have you, have you ever heard of the movie called Defcon Four from like 1985, yeah. which is yeah, uh, what could best be described as a Canadian post-apocalyptic film? But basically, it's a nuclear war happens, but there's astronauts on a space station seeing it, and then they stay up there as long as they can, and then actually have to eject, and they go back to Earth. But in like six nine months time, whatever it is, like it's turned into Mad Max wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like months. It's the funniest <laughs> movie. Uh, that takes itself so seriously, but that's, I wonder right. if, if yours is like this at all. No, this is, this is actually more like the day after. Okay. 
but only from the pers- oh, day after meets Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, because the whole thing is a radio broadcast that if you heard it, you'd probably start shitting your pants. Uh, <laughs> it's it's done that well. Um, yeah. This is like made for Eric, is what yeah, I'm hearing. Yeah, I love, yeah. and I, I realize, especially with the whole COVID thing, that what I've always loved about this is not the Mad Max stuff. It's the death of society stuff, you know? It's watching everything burn. And... I, right back I, to that George Carlin bit. Yeah, I love <laughs> apocalypse. Uh, 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 I don't know what to call it. Melodrama, um, yeah. horror, apocalypse horror, and uh, yeah, this is that. It's well, really great for going to sleep. Isn't the stand actually going to be seeing the light of day as like a miniseries? Yeah, okay. yeah. I some of the casting is I've heard is really good too. Okay, I don't see how you top Gary Sinise, but you know. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, you got a parent with Molly Ringwald to really make him shine. That's whatever, true. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wow. Yeah, so please listen to this thing. Tell me what you think. Um, okay. The last. I, also, broadcast. as a fan of radio drama, it's also, you know, fun. Oh, yeah. And they, oh, one last thing. There are a lot of parts in there where they repeat stuff, where they repeat clips. And. At first, I was like, oh, that's, this is lazy filler. And then I thought, no, that's exactly what would happen if this was a news broadcast. They just keep playing you what they know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nice. Awesome. So, but that's my fresh shit. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, for my I'm fresh sorry. shit this, uh, this week, I want, uh, let's talk about Netflix for a minute. Can um, we? Can we? Netflix, <laughs> like, so. Two two shows that I I've been watching on Netflix. One I watched all of their the first season, and the other one I'm I'm about halfway through the second season of. Netflix throws a lot of money on the screen to try and say you know hey we're gonna make really high level prestige television, and it's just never quite there. It's like Netflix yeah. is like <laughs> almost great television, right? So <laughs> that's a perfect path. Pass line for <laughs> Netflix almost great television. So <laughs> I watched all of the first season of The Witcher, and I love The Witcher. Oh, good. Okay, I yeah. watched the first. The first episode is like, okay, you like Game of Thrones, right? You like high production values yeah. and money on the screen and nudity and violence, and here comes the fucking Witcher, and then yeah, uh, no, it was, it was literally <laughs> the incarnation of every awesome '80s fantasy film uh, encapsulated into this sort of fractured, fractured narrative show. I There's loved so much it. nudity and none of it is sexy. <laughs> I know. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. And that's what's like so awesome about sex it. sex somehow. Yeah. And, and, then you I, get, and then you get Henry Cavill just walking around grunting all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> He's actually really, really taking his cues from the video game yeah. character. Like yeah. The, the same performance. If you can find it, there's a there's a YouTube clip that somebody just basically did a mashup of every time he grunts, and it's hilarious. <laughs> or his or his catchphrase, "fuck, fuck." Yeah, that's the other <laughs> yeah. one. It's so fun. I loved it. He's he's really he's really good as Geralt. The thing that I knew going in was that for the first few episodes, we're supposed to be out of sequence, like by years in terms of the timing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for these three characters. What I didn't realize is that it never congeals and it sucks that they do that. Like, <laughs> at no point 
is this ever really that pulled was, together in a decent way? Yeah, I didn't know that going in. Yeah, I didn't either. But I got to tell you, I that's the thing I liked most about it coming out of the the first season was that they really? just yeah because they just didn't care. They're like, yeah, fuck it, we're just gonna do this fun show, and every episode <laughs> is just gonna be its own thing. And if you can't figure that out, suck it, suck it. I mean, I love it that. Just, that's just very it, punk rock. It took me out of the whole thing, right? Okay. Like because. Because okay, so in in Game of Thrones, they've got more characters, and there's all kinds of shit going on, yeah. and you and all of these characters are highly motivated, and yeah, they're jumping all over the place geographically, and yeah, time kind of they they play a little fast and loose with time in Game of Thrones, but it's all intriguing and interesting, and I want to know what's happening with these stories. And this one, it's like I'm jumping around, I'm disoriented, and I don't care. Well, that's unfortunate. Huh. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, don't watch Cursed then. Okay. Because uh, that really is a slog. I've been trying to watch that thing for almost six weeks now. And uh, yeah. So don't. So The Witcher, it was almost great, but it, nah, it. I really like it. That's short. funny. Toss a coin to your Witcher in the Valley of Plenty. Sing it. Sing it. I'm eh, fine. So I like was that. I like Baldrick from Black Adder is a cute talking dragon. <laughs> Actually, that's the point where I said I don't uh, think I like this show. Oh well, <clears throat> I want to like it, but it's just it's holding me at a distance for some reason. I don't know. Maybe that's just uh, the the difference between the two of us. Like you're a very linear thinker, and I am just not. And so I, I'm I'm willing to give it a long leash because I just I found it so fine goddamn entertaining. With you playing that kind of game, if there's a great payoff, there was no payoff. That's the beauty no of it, though. They give they give you that whole season. Like, yeah, <laughs> give me the whole season where everybody is conditioned by Game of Thrones and that slog on for years, and everybody just wanted more and more. They played with that because when it came out, Witcher was like, "Oh yeah, you need your Game of Thrones fix. Try this," and then you get Game of Thrones the is not Game of Thrones at all, and everybody was kind of disappointed, and I love that. I love I will it. say the time shift thing felt less original just because it's exactly what happened in Westworld. I haven't seen mm. Westworld. They, okay. they, they, they flip time. So if I watch Westworld, well, I'll go, will I go like, eh, it's just, it's too much like Witcher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what you'll say, especially so, when Anthony Hopkins says, fuck <laughs> and then grunts oh. yeah oh. okay so the other the other netflix show i'm about halfway through season two of the umbrella academy is back I, yeah i haven't watched that one yet because i've been getting through i some totally for didn't care for the first one i think i mean I, I barely remember it too bad and that's the thing about the umbrella academy it's so clearly being made by people who know what they're doing right like the especially the cinematography, especially the way they frame and edit, like, okay, we are really pushing the sort of graphic novel sensibilities and storytelling in television form thing. It's just about characters that kind of suck, you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is they're not supposed to be likable at, by any regard, and so that may not work in their favor. 
But okay, I want. Okay, but like, why should I watch a show about a bunch of characters I don't like? Uh, you it's know? called TV, man. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the the best one by a long shot in both seasons is the. Uh, I assume you guys watched season one. Yeah, I saw season one. The kid that plays five. Barely right? remember that. It. Yeah, five. Okay, that kid is currently, as we record this show, he's seven. He's not even seventeen. He's sixteen. Right yeah. now, he's done two seasons of this show. He is 16, and he completely pulls off this character who is actually almost 60 years old in a kid's body. Yeah. And he's been doing it for a couple of years. Kid is awesome. <laughs> yeah. The only corollary I can actually put to that is like watching when Dakota Fanning was like 8, 10 years old playing these mm. really creepily older characters that weren't really designed to be older. She just played them that way. It's like that kind of vibe. It's so weird. So, Umbrella Academy in season two, what happens at the beginning of the season is all of the characters are sent back in time from whatever their big apocalypse moment at the end of season one was. Do they play and the they're Huey scattered, Lewis? They're scattered throughout uh, the years like 1960 to 1962 in Texas. And we're all leading up to the Kennedy assassination. So the, this new series is set in the early 60s, and yet another show uh, really digging in on, um, you know, on the black experience during, you know, more racist times. That sounds very, uh, very quantum leapy. It, it is kind of quantum leapy. Okay. Um, probably the other thing that's fun, I really didn't like the character of Klaus from the previous season, the, uh, the addict who can talk yeah. to the dead. Um, this season... He's a lot more fun because he decides to start a cult around himself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's that's entertaining. I think I like the overall season better. I don't like the conceit. I don't like the setting better. It's missing the two hitmen that we had in the previous Aww. season, which sucks. Okay. Um, but, again, it's just like, not quite great. It's not, not too, not quite there. That's too bad because Mary J. Blige as a hit woman, yeah, it's <laughs> just well, weird in the first season. I gotta tell you, <laughs> the the other thing that's kind of off putting is they've they've said it in the '60s, but they keep making these music drops that are completely not. There was episode four they dropped two songs from 1978 they dropped renegade by sticks and <laughs> nice. i was made for loving you by kiss into this episode <laughs> don't that's the quickest way to get on brian's shit list it's to do yeah. non-diegetic music man that's just like, awesome it's like do they do the people who made this even know how far off they are or the people Seriously. like who are younger just watch that and say yeah that was what the music I mean, was like in the 60s it's just you a know well, it's old it's i had the same yeah, bitch with uh, wonder woman when they're listening to la vie en rose uh, a a <laughs> song from world war 2 during world war 1 there you go arg I didn't catch that, but I bet you there are people who are like heads exploding during Wonder Woman, like Eric. Yeah, no. me. Yeah, <laughs> my wife and I. Actually, my wife is the one who pointed it out, and I'm like, motherfuckers. Anyway, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the Umbrella Academy a soft recommend. If you if you were entertained by the first season, you'll be entertained by this. It's it's fine. It's good. It's just not great. It's Netflix. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Netflix <laughs> almost great television. Fresh don't matter. Fresh, 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 fresh. 
All right. So, um, what are we doing this week? I don't know why. I just, I decided one night and like, you know, woke up from like a sleep and messaged you guys and like, okay, my next episode, I want to do, um, an episode about the band Ben Folds 5. Not Ben Folds the solo artist, Ben Folds 5. I don't know why. I just, I, it just mm. jumped up and said, that's the show. Um, there is one element to it that I want to get into. Uh, so Ben Folds 5, uh, they, they had their big hits in, I think it was 97, um, with their second album, uh, Whatever and Ever, Amen. Uh, and this was a period in time where the three of us were kind of scattered to the to the various winds of the world. Uh, I was in uh, Northern California. I don't even know, Eric. Were you in Arizona? Were you somewhere else at that point? He was I was LA. in Hollywood. Um, L A. He was in L A. Yeah, and Chris, I think you'd you'd left for Austin by then. No, I um, didn't come to Austin until early 21st century. Okay. So I was still you know, stuck in Phoenix. And and I'd like to point out, I only discovered this band because I was in a car with Chris, and he's like, "You got to fucking hear this." I th- and he I th- plays th- me uh, like, uh, yeah, "Was it uh, one angry dwarf and two hundred yeah, solemn faces?" It's the leadoff track to whatever and ever I'm in, and it's the it's funniest fucking song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a fun song. <laughs> gather in San Francisco for our friend Toby, friend show, hey Toby, uh, friend Toby's wedding, and it turns out all of us are digging this band, and I'm like, how? How did we all come across Ben Folds 5? Uh, um, we all listened to the radio, I guess. There's I guess. like a whole 10, 15 year period where no shit, I, I, I required Chris Ryerson for my music updates, because it was like, <laughs> oh, whatever Lord. he's into, I'm gonna like. You know, uh, and so, oh yeah, is that what I listen to now? Okay. Well, yeah. I, I will be honest with you. When I, I, I think I had heard Brick from the first album, or when the, when that album came out, because it got like college radio play or whatever. Uh, and it's very melodic and it's different because they don't use guitars or anything. It's just piano, bass, and drums. But Brick then is when like the, my least favorite Benzvold Five song. But I that was say. like, it's but that was the big. Sucks. But it's the big song. But then the second album comes out, and that leadoff track is one hundred one angry dwarf and two hundred solemn faces. And I, I think I literally my my first response after laughing at it was going, I gotta play this for Eric. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> so Brick was actually from that same album. Um, in fact, oh, I had not yeah. heard, truth, I had not heard the first album until yesterday. Really? Uh, oh, wow. I did not know it existed until yesterday. I thought Whatever and Ever yeah. In was the first album. I thought maybe, so, it's a, maybe it was Philosophy. That was the one that I heard. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah. 
that got my attention because it was getting play on alternative radio in the Bay Area was a different track from that same album it was the Battle of Who Could Care Less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Battle of Who Could Care Less was like exactly the song for like being a Gen Xer about to turn 30 or so. Right, and basically taking the piss out of how much importance we put on our high school years and being like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're lame, you know? <laughs> yeah. well, I love Watch the, like, some Rockford Files and call and see if Paul can well, score some weed. Some right. <laughs> but there are some things that you would change if it were up to you. So think about your masterpiece. Like, I love their fans, like, uh, do you ever rest uh, fighting, fighting the battle, battle of who could uh, Unearned happiness, or unearned unhappiness, that's all right, I guess. I mean, it's, like yeah. the, it's the most Gen X song ever. Yeah. It, it just really, you know, you've been listening to 150 episodes of the Magnificently Huge podcast. I was like, that song was about yeah. our friendship, right? And. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it helped me kind of reconnect to people I had totally lost track of, also was not in connection with, uh, in, in a way. It, and it was just amazing. And then I saw them perform that same song on, like, I don't even know. PBS had, like, some show where, you know, bands would play live. Yeah. And what blew me away was watching them pull off that same song and all the tight harmonies live. And I'm just like, okay, sit up and take notice. These guys do not suck. And so I bought the CD. Yeah. And then, yeah, the first thing you hear when you fire up the CD is One Angry Dwarf. And I'm just like, well, shit, I guess I like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that to me is their big album. That's, that's the one that I listen to the most because it's got the most solid songs on it. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's that. And then Song for the Dumped is another one that I listen to a lot because it's just... It's funny because it's this it's written from the standpoint of this petulant knucklehead who just can't understand why the girl dumps him and then he's just going to be an asshole about it the whole way through. And it's, that's literally the song and it's so funny. So
Because <laughs> at the time I heard it, I heard it as a guy who got burned for the like, you know, by this this crazy woman, and he's not fucking having it anymore, and yeah. so he wants his T-shirt back. Ah, that's I guess so that's funny. Another interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it. So it's. I actually brought this album up when we did our Desert Island Discs show a while back. Yeah. And. At the time, Eric, you actually said something to the effect of, you know, I listened to it then and I was like, yeah, fuck you too. And now I listen <laughs> yeah. to it today and I'm like, yeah, that guy's a shithead. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. Listen to the first refrain. It's so you wanted to take a break, slow it down some, and have some space. Well, fuck you too. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I could just see that conversation, like the woman being perfectly reasonable, going, just, you know, I think it's cool, but, you know, this is over. And the guy, like, losing his. <laughs> fucking mind for this <laughs> and it's that's a, maybe that's a generational thing because at the time it came out um, i didn't see it like that but you know decades later it's like oh yeah, yeah. that guy's such well, a shit and i suspect i suspect that's true for the artist right like yeah. at the time he wrote it i imagine that was uh, first of all i think it was just a jam session um but but you know that's the kind of way you feel when you're like unable to really be empathetic to other people and everything's just all you can't see past your own nose and you're you know young dumb and full of cum yeah but okay but here's the thing when when <laughs> going back to defending the knucklehead uh mm-hmm. when when the the you know the 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 woman you've been with for you know however long tells you they she wants to slow it down and have some space i what I, what I, what, what, what appears in my head is suddenly her getting gorilla fucked by some other guy <laughs> tomorrow, you know? So like, that's very, uh, no, I don't want to be your friend. What are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yes. It's uh, good times. But, but oh, then wow. what, what, what really gets me, of course, because, you know, I am just a terminally depressed person. Um, is the next song on that album and then a few others as we go through the end of it and, and so the next song is this song called Selfless, Cold, and Composed which is just uh, Ben Folds is really good at writing songs about bad relationships that have ended in which he recognizes how much of an asshole he himself has been <laughs> it's therapeutic yeah, and and selfless, cold, and composed. I just freaking love it. Um, it that's what got me, and I started just like memorizing this whole album and singing it on my commute in the, in the car because I had like this forty-five minute to to ninety minute, depending on how bad the traffic was in the Bay Area commute. Um, and I just played and played and played and learned to sing the whole album, and and I love singing selfless, cold. And Easy to be One that, I think the one that got it, its hooks into me first, uh, above all else, was the song Kate. Because it's actually a song that is happy and fun, and it's about somebody just praising this woman that they're infatuated with or whatever. But it's got a really fun hook, and they, like the chorus is just yelling out the girl's name, Kate! 
I want a cake. <laughs> and it's so easy to just memorize. It just gets into your brain and worms itself in. Uh, and that's, to me, indicative of that album as a whole. Because, the, it, I mean, it's just piano-based drums. It's three guys in a band called Ben Folds Five. And yeah. they, they know how to write songs that are easy to hook the audience. I don't know. It's, it's, you can tell that they perform these things. But when you get them on the record, then you start envisioning that in your head. That's how it works for me. So uh, that, that's a good example, though, of why I wanted to focus on the band and not the solo artist. Right. Because yeah. um, let, let's talk for a second about the bass player to, to Ben Folds 5. Because, um, okay, which one is which? Now I got to look this up, right? Robert Sledge, Robert is, the Sledge is the bass player. And he just has this gnarly, distorted, shitty bass tone that he, he's a really good player. And he doesn't always hit the distortion. You know, he, yeah. he transitions between it. But he just knows how to pull the drama out of that thing in a way that you don't hear when he's not on the album. It's true. Um, and it's such a critical p- part to the sound of this band. And then the other drummer, uh, the other uh, guy in the trio, uh, Jesse... It's something. Darren, Je- Darren Jesse. Darren, Darren Jesse. God, I... Did not bring notes. Um, <laughs> I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you. He's a he's a really really talented drummer, and he does some some pretty acrobatic fills. And then all three of them sing while they're doing it at all times. And so the, yeah. the, the tight harmonies, lots of lots of energy. Uh, I can totally see why uh, live Kate would probably really get a crowd moving. It's fun, and I I think and I don't know if this was their like a contractual obligation kind of a thing, but they followed up Whatever and Ever I'm In with like a, a live slash B-Sides album, which is usually right. just a cop-out. Naked baby photos? Naked baby photos. But there's yeah. actually some really hardcore solid tracks on that one too. I was astonished when I got it. I'm like, I'll get it just because I like the stuff. And then you get the the B-Sides that are just as good as any of the stuff on the previous mm-hmm. album. It was just well, like, their co- oh, their cover, their cover of Wires Twin Falls Idaho is so good. I fucking love that. Yeah. My mom's good. She got me out of Twin Falls, Idaho. Before I got too old. You know how that goes. Where she still wants to A lot of naked baby photos is actually also, you know, the studio versions are on the first album. And I have yeah. not, you know, so for me, songs like Underground or Jackson Cannery yeah. were the live versions from naked baby photos. I had never heard the studio versions yeah. uh, until yesterday and turns out sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what's astonishing versions. is like they do the live cuts and they're tight they sound just as good yeah. as the studio recording. I mean, you don't get that from a lot of bands, which is, you know, that's, that's not easy to, to pull off. And yet somehow they do. I mean, they're just very accomplished at their thing. And that's, I think, probably what I like about them most. Because uh, you, you're not sure if you're going to get a faithful recreation on stage or if you're going to get one of their weird goofball riffs 
on stage. And I think that's part of the fun. You know what I mean? Okay. Best goofball ribs and, and made naked baby photos is just a thing they were playing during sound check. Yeah. Just called for those of y'all that wear fanny packs. <laughs> I love that song. Which so is much. directed at the, you know, at the, the crew. Yeah. <laughs> the I sound said it. For those of y'all fanny packs, this song's coming out. It's coming at you. I want to borrow an Allen wrench. I want to borrow some duct tape. I want to borrow a mic cable. Face in your face. I love it because ah, I love that it just devolves into shit. Jan's cool. Shit, Jan's cool. I like that it ends with. Oh, they're not even here anymore. Shit. <laughs> it's like they were playing it for the guys setting up the thing, and yeah. then the crew just left. Yeah. Uh, there's that one, and then my the, the second one of that that's almost as good is when they do <laughs> Satan is my master. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I mean, you can tell this is like stage fill, but oh, shit. It's so funny. <laughs> but the funny is, the, what I love is they're fucking around and their improving is still very grand and yeah. very musically competent. Well, it's, yeah. Like, when, I, when they first came out, I mean, it's definitely college radio fair, uh, which I've got nothing against. But it definitely sets up bias for them. So when you go in to mm-hmm. the first early listings, you're like, "Whoa, what are they trying to do?" And so my immediate parallel was like Joe Jackson, but not like uh, look smart Joe Jackson, where he was more like Elvis Costello back then. But like the the later, like '83, I think it was Night and Day, when he's doing like Stepping Out and stuff like that. Yeah, that was sort of where I drew a parallel. I'm like, so without that Joe Jackson, I don't think you would have this Ben Folds 5. That was always the connection in my mind. So, yeah, I mean, there's Joe Jackson influences, there's Beach Boys influences, there's uh, Elton John influences. Mm-hmm. He has a song on the the last album they did where he actually says he wanted to be Stevie Wonder. Um, <laughs> but he's not blind and he's white. So Yeah. yeah. Um, Whoops. It's... Uh, it, it's funny because yeah, you listen to it and you're like, oh, this is just like that. But then you realize that it it is, you know, as as all I suppose music is, it's the the blender of the influences for the artists at, at hand. It's yeah. I, when you get to the, uh, well, I guess the third studio album, fourth whatever album, the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner. Uh, that's sort of where I for good or ill i kind of had moved on by then so i have the album but it never really clicked with me i don't know how to describe it eric did you what is your take on the reinhold messner album that's one of my favorites yes uh, that was i think yeah it, it, the production is is you know much better they're much tighter they're much more grown up but it does have to be their last album you know, until they do the we're regrouping because we're fifty and we have mortgage payments. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, the house payments. It's like, were... yeah, it, it was it was their height, and I, I some of this like army I think is one of their best songs. Well, I thought about the <laughs> army dancing, son, you're fucking high, and I thought, yeah, there's a first for everything. So I took my old man's advice, three sad semesters. It was only fifteen grand. Band 
like yeah like your redneck past is the one that always comes up for me first i think it's just because it's got a good hook and yeah. it's and it's goofy uh and that's the one that attaches itself to this, my cerebrum this well is like songs me. like songs like narcolepsy and don't change your plans and yeah. and jane they all feel like like when you're trapped in a lucid dream and just shit's weird it's like this whole <laughs> yeah. thing feels like just well, I mean, you know, they, they, they tell you right at the beginning, narcolepsy. The, the, yeah. the whole thing is just a weird dream that keeps stringing together stuff. Like like the voicemail message uh, from right. his dad. From his dad, who was half Which awake is, when he yeah. left it. Yeah. Which is, it's still yeah. good, though. It's funny. So, it's, it's interesting to me, Chris, that, that you don't... Uh, resonate with this album and that the songs you're calling out are sort of the poppy yeah. happy ones like you and I are on the exact opposite ends of the Ben Folds 5 spectrum well I mean I, I freaking love Reinhold Messner because it is so like depressed and introspective and expansive and beautiful and sad well, and I, the songs you've mentioned are the ones I skip. I skip yeah. Kate. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's just it. I ha, I mean, I bought the album and I listened to it, but I think by that time I had kind of moved on from that particular thing because okay. when I was listening to Ben Folds Five at the same time, I was always also getting into stuff like uh, Morphine with their sort of similar setup, which is just the bass, guitar, and drum, but a much different vibe. Uh, and then getting into like the lo-fi stuff like Cake and things like that. So Ben Folds mm-hmm. didn't really loom large in my musical landscape by 99, and I think that's why it just mm-hmm. never clicked. It's still a good album, and I can listen to it, but it just doesn't resonate like the earlier stuff for whatever reason. I, can, I don't know. It's just everybody's got their own opinion, and it all stinks, that kind of thing. Yeah, to me, every great band has at least one album that is just sort of like lush, deep, personal statement. And I think the unauthorized biography of, of Reinhold Messner is that for Ben Fultz 5. I, I, I think that whatever and ever a men is a more consistent and listenable and approachable album, yeah. this thing is probably their masterpiece in terms of this is the best you're going to get out of this trio. Yeah, yeah um, possibly. I mean, the song "Mess" just kills me every time. There's, there's this. Um, I think it's the third verse where he's saying, "You know, there are rooms in this house that I don't enter anymore. Dusty books and pictures on the floor that she will never see. She will never see that part of me because I want to be for her what I could never be for you." And that's just a great lyric. <laughs> it kills me the way they sing it. Same mistake. Yeah, but it, 
at the same time, I am kind of glad it ended with yeah after this because this is the most depressing album <laughs> when you were yeah. in your maybe, late twenties, early thirties, yeah. and you just go, oh, Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why it just hasn't connected because like ninety nine around then. I mean, that was one of my first like hardcore emotional valleys in life, and uh, I just I think I was probably glomming on to stuff that was maybe a little bit jazzier and happier just because mm. otherwise I would have just rolled into that funk yeah i did the same thing this is when i really started getting into garbage because i while it's depressing and dark at least it's poppy yeah mm-hmm. whereas garbage i was like awesome yeah. yeah but i was rolling into stuff like dandy warhols and Supergrass. i mean i was going full, full on the other side of the spectrum uh, yeah so this is somewhere just in that weird gray middle where i'm aware of it but i just don't know it as well as the previous two. Yeah. That was sort of my, that was my Ben Folds 5 journey. Yeah, and so then, you know, like I said, I wasn't even aware of the first album. And then, yeah, what, 2012? They did their mortgage (laughs) album? Yeah. Uh, The the Sound of the Life of the Mind. Which I This is a super uneven album. I've never Never listened to it. Um, I gotta tell you, there's some really great Ben Folds 5 songs on here. The first track called Erase Me, solid as hell. Erased me What the fuck is this? You're crazy Turn around in two weeks time Replace me Ah, oh, the memory Everybody knows how it goes You just erase me Did me like a pearl and daze me Fireworks poof, it's gone amazing New bio, you've gone so up Drawing mustaches on our wedding photo Erase me Erase me. Um, the one that I think you'll like the best is the one I referenced earlier about uh, the Stevie Wonder bit. It's called uh, "Draw a Crowd," and the the idea is the, the the chorus is if you can't draw a crowd, draw dicks on the wall. It's just <laughs> like whatever your yeah, level of there. talent is. Go for it, you know, it's basically their message. some good ones but then the rest of it's kind of just not up to snuff well you gotta wonder is it worse to be middle age and singing you know like piano rock about the the rigors of middle age or is it worse to be middle age and producing piano rock about being 20 and having a girlfriend not give you back her t-shirt it's like there's somehow a, they're a, locked into that that moment and yeah it's like what do you do after that you know it's like you your your whole oeuvre is is fixated on that sort of late 20s psychosis right um it, it's kind of like i don't uh, i don't want to see a you know where are they now with them yeah <laughs> well it's yeah I, did do we all have any idea why they broke up was it 
because I think I read somewhere that it was um, amicable, but I have no history on. That's what why. I heard. They had it, they had said, was. yeah, it was just time. Yeah, okay. I mean the the bass player is a music teacher. The drummer's got his own band. Look, Ben Folds was off to the races, and he realized that hey, he could pretty much do it all himself and keep all the money, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, his name was his on next, the band. His next album, Rock in the Suburbs, is a solo album. Uh, he plays all the instruments on it, and it might as well be a Ben Folds Five album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like, and I like the, and it's very good. Yeah, it, it yeah. is, and he even brings some of the lyrics for you know he literally has a Fred Jones Part Two, which is a reference to a song on whatever and every Amen. Um, well, I mean, it's Rock in the Suburbs is a fun song, the single. So that yeah. that album kind of is an honorary yeah. Ben Folds Five album, but he but he's off to the races and he's doing his thing and he's working with like you know string quartets and and getting really college music right like yeah. ben folds is is like this music guy and and that's awesome great keep going dude and and yeah maybe it was time to sort of say okay the angry trio of what what did you say they called themselves punk for wussies oh yeah, yeah they uh <laughs> whatever yeah like i read somewhere that once he described it as punk for sissies and i thought yeah. that's perfect because that's yeah. literally what it is because it's they've got that sort of fuck you attitude but it's like a piano you know it's, yeah. so it's like it's hard to be rough and hardcore and gobspit when you're you know tied to a keyboard on a big giant piano so yeah and so maybe it is it has just run its course and yeah if you're gonna play live you, yeah play the hit yeah. and then see and, if you can get people to hear what you have to say today i think yeah. that's pretty much the and the challenge ben for folds any band. manages to create in other voices so there's no reason not to do it as Ben Folds or say Fear of Pop, one of the yes. fucking awesomest <laughs> yes. side projects I of all time. I love Fear of Pop. It's oh, it's like that, that teeters takes me into to weird places every time. Yeah, it teeters in the negative land territory, but it's just fun from start to finish. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's so unexpected. Like I heard Fear of Pop, and I don't even think I knew Ben Folds was associated with it, and then. When I found out, I was like, oh, fuck me. Are you kidding? Because it's yeah. just so weird and out in the In the old Tower Records, they were playing this. And when he gets to the part, and I'll not be screwed. I'll not be screwed like the people living early because I've paid my money. I was like, I'm in. And I'll not be screwed. I'll not be screwed like the people living early because I paid my money. I paid my money. I'm in. This is fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, and this was his first collaboration with Shatner. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. Which leads to a whole Shatner album that Ben Folds produces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is well, genius. Yeah. So now you have me completely figured out. You feel sorry for me. I can't express my feelings. I can't tell the truth. We are all alike. Puberty, I was sworn to secrecy by the International Brotherhood of Lying Fickle Males. I can't tell you anything, and I can't commit. You're right, I can't commit to you. So yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot to go check out there, folks, and if you've got 
you know, everybody's got Apple Music or Spotify, so go look it up yeah. and give it another spin. I think you're going to find some stuff you like. In, yeah. In, in, in closing, can I, can I just, I, I would like to say, okay, Underground from the first album. Uh-huh. Listen, next time you listen to it, do as I do. <laughs> and imagine it has a Nine Inch Nails video, like, like it's 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 Trent Reznor shirtless, leather pants, but smiling, and yeah. but it's it's all the same stuff because it is industrial, but it's piano rock. It's really making fun of that, but at the same time, I can see Trent Reznor covered in mud and breaking. <laughs> yeah. So here's, and the, here's the thing: you have to imagine that because the last time you heard Underground is right now while some jerk off was talking over it and telling you that to subscribe to a podcast like the Magnificent yeah. Huge Podcast. And then he, he told you to rate it, told yeah. you to look him up on Twitter, at MagHuge, email him with MagnificentHuge at gmail.com, and, and go to his website and ruining the song by telling you to go to MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Give so, me my money Well, I back, say we take him out yeah. back and beat the shit out of him then, huh? <laughs> and don't forget to give me back my black T-shirt. <laughs> 